0: God with episode 26. Ladies and gentlemen, we have crossed the first quarter of 100 episodes. I couldn't be happier about that. And we are here uh, with a very, very special episode for you today. And by we, I mean myself, Reed Lackey, and my monster, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen uh, uh we're trying something experimental actually all of nathan's responses are going to be franken that. frankensteinian we're gonna use that they're gonna word. be frankensteinian as it were yes um not really so <laughs> thank you reed yes
1: with you is me
0: <laughs> with you
1: as always is garth
0: <laughs> but, uh, we're having a conversation about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre, and, uh, it's been a few episodes since we've done this, but, uh, some of you listeners may have thought we abandoned it, but we did not. We are examining all year long, uh, the classic universal monster movies. Last month, we covered 1931's Dracula, directed by Todd Browning and starring Bela Lugosi. And today, we are going to be diving into the second installment in that series, also from 1931, directed by James Whale, uh, it is the classic, iconic Frankenstein. 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 So uh, I'd like to uh, to open with with something that has absolutely nothing to do with with, uh, with Frankenstein. Just very briefly, I have said for many years, for longer than I ever should have, I have said that I was a firm believer. That M Night Shyamalan had more go. good films in go. him. I I knew it. I you know I I defended the village even though it has its problems. We both did on our pilot episode. We defended. I adore it. the village. Yeah, I even am a. Kind of an apologist for Lady in the Water, even no, though that film has no, a well, lot of i won't a go lot of apologies. you there, but yeah a lot of um, apologies to make there yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I parted ways with him at the happening i did not i can. i still cannot stand the happening i, I don't it's defend, so bad I, I think it's it's yeah, so it's bad. terrible. And even though I saw Last Airbender and After Earth, I mean those were it was painful to see what was happening. Wow, I'm impressed. I mean, I've seen everything. I've seen it all. It's Um, like Patrick Stewart on that episode of Extras. I see everything. I've seen everything. Um, But uh, but I said even during those movies, I said he's. You you can't make a film like Sixth Sense. You can't make a film like Unbreakable. You can't even make a film like Signs and not have more good stories in you to tell. Something's going on. He's going through some sort of phase. I always rooted for him. I always believed in him. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you have not gone out to see Split... Um, and it is still available by the time this episode airs. Yeah, I'm, don't worry. I'm going to be very careful here. But you have got to see Split. I think it's a fantastic film. I can officially say that M. Night Shyamalan is back. In my opinion, it is his strongest film since Signs. And some people might think it's pr- probably better than Signs after they see it. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. But it's definitely his strongest film since Signs. And, as of this weekend, it is officially his most successful film since The Sixth Sense. Wow. Because it's topped the box office three weekends in a row. So, I'm very, very happy to announce that my, my faith in the filmmaker has been restored. Uh, Split is a very, very good movie. And I think everybody should see it. <clears throat> well, did will... he... Did he
1: um... Did he direct or just
0: produce the visit? What was his role in that? He wrote, directed, produced the visit. Oh, the okay. visit is all him. Yeah, yeah I need to catch yeah, that. think it's, I'm
1: pretty sure it's streaming now, so I, I think I saw that it was streaming on Netflix or oh, Amazon really? or something. Yeah,
0: I loved. I loved the visit. The visit didn't quite give me enough to say he's right, back, sure, but I loved it. And uh, but now but it with, was enough for him to be like, "I'll be back." Basically, like like he was coming back. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. but with split. I, I don't have to make any defenses or apologies. Like, Split is good. Like, Split is officially good. So, like, it's it's not like
1: you're of two minds about it. Like, you are definitively... Like, I'm not
0: of two minds about it. I'm not of 23 <laughs> minds about it, as a matter of fact. It's a good movie. It's, it's solid. So,
1: did you read today? I think it was today. We're recording on a Sunday, but, you know, sometimes these uh, trade magazines release information on Sundays that he's... He announced that he's gonna go and make a sequel to um, the happening. Like that's, and it's just called "What's Happening."
0: (laughs) You, you're you're just bound and determined to make me mad, aren't you? You just, you just,
1: what's happening?
0: Yeah, what's (laughs) happening? No, no, and then he's gonna make it a trilogy. The third one's gonna be, hey, what happened? What happened? Well, but we've just made a dramatic shift from Shyamalan too. Um, we have, boy, we're all over the place with here. But I just wanted to say, you if did. there was any, uh, I did that. If there was anybody who who had their doubts, or reservations, Split is an objectively really good movie, very strong entry for him, and I'm happy to announce that he's back. Everybody should see it. Nathan, go see it, please. I want to. Please go I want see. To. It.
1: I'm too busy watching these these other movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, stay stay tuned for the companion film to Frankenstein, ladies and gentlemen. called John um,
1: Frankenstein. It's a prequel.
0: <laughs> um, um, but uh, I will say, Nathan, even if you happen to miss it in the theater. Oh, I'll, see it, I'll watch it. Yeah, I'll, I'll see it yeah. sometime. Please try to see it before its surprise is spoiled for you. And that's all I'm going to say. And listeners, I know, to you as well. I, know. I don't, I don't, anything I don't know it. anything. Like, I've not Good. read anything. Don't. Uh,
1: But what I don't love, and this is why I need to see it like promptly, is my brain will start trying to forecast, like, where is this going to go? And so I need to,
0: like, I have to actively shut that off, which is difficult. Right. Yes. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. It's great. Um, so, uh.
1: Well, in other news, in other news, are you, uh, before we jump into Frank, our friend Mm -hmm. Frank. So today is Sunday, February 5th. And it's Super Bowl night, which uh, I don't care to talk about that per se. But did you see? There's a Stranger Things two trailer that released tonight.
0: I did, and uh, uh, my wife and sweet. I gleefully watched it, and we're very, very excited about it. It's coming Halloween. The episodes I know, are dropping Halloween. I'm gonna go ahead. We didn't pre-brief this, um, but yeah. I'm sure you'll be on board for this. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, spoil something for you, the listener, about the fear of God and me, the co-host. Um, so. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we asked on our last major survey if we were going to cover a TV show, uh, which TV show would you want us to cover? And you gave us a few, a few options. I'm going to, I'm going to spoil for you that Stranger Things won. So we've been trying to figure out for a while now how to cover Stranger Things. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. So Stranger Things season two is dropping in Halloween. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you can expect from the fear of God, a Stranger Things season 1 and Stranger Things season 2 coverage sometime in November. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that that's going to happen. We'll we'll make it happen. So those of you who are chomping at the bits saying Which when are we going to cover it?
1: Start my rewatch now. Pro-
0: possibly. possibly. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, we're going to cover those together um and we're going to wait until season 2 drops and then do. We might do season 1 you know, around September to space them out a little bit. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, we will correspond uh, our coverage of Stranger Things in response to your survey around the time when Season 2 drops. Because Season 2 looks great already. Just hearing that music again just gave me chills. Yeah, I, I love yeah. it. I love it so you much. You know,
1: I, I would, listen, I, I am a fan of the, the things that are Stranger. Um, and in other Stranger Things news, you see they won Best Ensemble at, It was not. it was not the Golden Globes, there was some award ceremony from a
0: few nights ago. Really? Was yeah, it SA- yeah. It wasn't the SAG Awards, was it? I think it might it have, been. have been. Yep, a- yep, yep. Really? Yep. Oh, um, They wow. actually that's beat fantastic. out Game of Thrones.
1: It was a big deal. And David Harbour, I think, is the name of the guy who plays the lead, the sheriff. See, I don't have this information in front of me because I didn't know we were going uh, here. Yeah, I didn't. But he yeah, gives a re- he gives a really fantastic speech. You wow, and listeners that's wonderful. ought to go check it out. It's pretty exciting. And Winona Ryder's a little kooky and quirky in it. <laughs>
0: um, um that's great. No, I, that 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 excites me. I did not know that. That's great. Uh Reed,
1: since you asked, right now I am reading a book called I'm just we're just in it's recommendation time. Yeah. Um Noah Hawley, who is the showrunner for Fargo and huh. is the showrunner for the soon to be by the time this airs to have already been released, Legion on FX. Oh, has, a, yeah. has a novel called After the Fall. Um, um, which I'm about 50% of the way through. You like how I just like work that in, you know,
0: I do. Yeah.
1: But I, since, I we're re- since we're recommending things, I will say like, it might not actually be, I think it's going to end up being a fantastic book, but I was not prepared. It's very much about like media and politics in a way that I'm like, oh man, yeah, Huh? I'm getting wow. a whole lot of this in the real world. Now mm-hmm. I'm reading a novel about it. All that said, it's called after the fall yep yep I might have to check it out yeah um, it doesn't spoil anything because it happens in the first five pages or so but this flurry of characters you meet right at the outset these media personalities who are vacationing get on their private jet to head back to New York and the jet explodes and lands Ooh. in the lands in the ocean and the rest of the book is just the backstory how did we get here who are these people
0: oh that is interesting it is um well but we're not talking about well, we are talking well, about things. Well, I was. Things, I right? was. Yeah, You were. You were, you were talking about it. Um, but, but that's uh, the small talk. That's the small that's talk. Just that's just the small the, talk. The, the big talk. Right. The, uh, the <laughs> all of that. Yes. <laughs> is about 1931's James Whale directed Frankenstein. You know, it's, uh, so for, I, I want to kind of start with this. Um, just because I'm always mostly curious, you having never seen any of these mostly curious to know what you think about them so so please let's start by saying what was your what were your general impressions of 1931's Frankenstein
1: well you know I talked I call you and I chatted on the phone after uh, the day after I had watched it and I did enjoy Frankenstein I'm I'm anticipating this possibility hopeful probability that Dracula and Frankenstein are the worst of the bunch and what I mean by that is, there is a way in which the a couple of these stories, those two specifically, are so ingrained in the DNA of our culture mm. that it's really difficult to watch it with any level of surprise attached to it which I is unfor- which is unfortunate yeah. and I'm not even, which <clears throat> makes it sound like I, I'm dissing the movie. I'm really not. It's just you know, kind of like split, okay well, I know enough about Split to know I'm interested in it, so I'm going to go watch it, and I'm going to have some surprises and have some fun with it. Well, right, this movie is almost 100 years old. Frankenstein, mm-hmm. like Dracula, is is iconic. You know, just just classic right. Right. horror character. Um, and so, I will say, and also, you know, you <laughs> unfortunately with Dracula, we had Dra- I had Dracula bites as a template. Well, I've also seen Young Frankenstein. So, right. Which is a very much a parody of this film. Right. 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 Lots of direct analogs. In fact, before I knew this wasn't his name in my notes, I started referring to Igor, which is not which is not <laughs> the character's name. That's not you the know, character's in the name. Movie, right, it's, right. it's Fritz. Right. Yeah. It's Fritz. Um, so, no, I, I enjoyed it. Um I'm in a way that some of the movies we cover don't tend to be. The themes are a little on the nose. You know.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree um, with this one. Yeah,
1: I do think there's um, a couple of directions we can go with it for our context that might be a little less on the nose, or at least a little less uh, conspicuous. But, but no, I enjoyed the watching of it. Um, it is fun to kind of check these off the movie bucket list, as it were. Like, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Tr- tracking through the Universal Monster movies in a in a in a way that I would not have otherwise. So sure, so yeah, sure. it's enjoyable.
0: And I, t- I totally understand it. You know, uh, Stephen King had said in his book, Dance of Macabre, which I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm probably not. But um he had said in that book, he he uh, as a as an English teacher, he always used to say Dracula was the most well-known book nobody had read. Like everybody knows that story. Yeah. And nobody's yeah, ever actually opened the book and read it. Um And I do think Frankenstein is kind of the same way. But what's interesting about Frankenstein is unlike Dracula, which. Dracula was, as we talked about in that episode, more an adaptation of the play, which was an adaptation of the book. Unlike that, Frankenstein is attempting in some way to be a a straightforward adaptation of the book. And yet, it is so dramatically different from the book. It is is insane how different this film is from the original book. I'm not going to go into all of the differences right now because it's not totally substantial, but... The, first, first of all, I wanted to say that the the iconic look of Frankenstein um, is nothing like the way he's described in the book. It is very much the work of brilliant makeup artist Jack Pierce, um, including the bolts in the neck, the very flat head, yeah, um, the flat brow, all, yeah. Yes, all of that. You know what's that. funny
1: about uh, what's funny about you bringing that up specifically is as I'm sort of s- countering myself now, talking about how little surprise there was in the story. I was genuinely surprised at how impressed I was with the makeup effects. Mm, I mean, I yeah. think, <clears throat> I think for a movie a hundred years old, you don't, our sort of generation, we don't expect much out of something that dated, you know, in terms right. of effects and things like that. But I found while, of course, it was representative of what we've seen over the course of decades of Frankenstein, I found it to be a bit more signature, a bit more classy of a, of a makeup effect than I was expecting. And that that was a pleasant surprise. I was, yeah, you know, I wrote, I wrote that down. I was like, wow, that, that really looks better than I would have expected. Not just from a, from a, Oh, the makeup doesn't look like crap level, but in the terms of a distinctive, very distinguished looking character.
0: Right. And I still think that that, that, that reveal the first time the monster comes onto screen and like sort of turns his head and comes into the light. That's, that's one of my favorite shots in the film. And one of my favorite moments in the movie, I, um, I wanted to say just a couple of quick things and then we'll move into likes, dislikes. This was a direct and immediate reaction. The creation of this film was directly related to the success of Dracula. Um, Dracula Universal had kind of put, put their, Put a risk out there to see how it would do. They had not been doing very well. They'd been losing a lot of revenue. Dracula was one of their first successful films in a long time. And it immediately caused them to say, okay, well, we're going to start a whole slew of horror films, which gave us, you know, the universal monster movies. And Frankenstein was an immediate reaction to that. In fact, Bela Lugosi was offered the part of the monster that went to Boris Karloff. Even did makeup tests for as it. As in
1: as in he had already done Dracula
0: and then was also offered of Frankenstein. Yes. And he was also Frankenstein. offered Frankenstein and he turned it down uh largely because he he did not like the idea of playing a character where he wouldn't have any vocalizations other than the you know and all this other stuff. Uh he basically thought I it I thought was... he had
1: some of the best lines of the script.
0: <laughs> they're they're <laughs> certainly clever. Um but uh he uh Lugosi honestly kind of thought at the time that it was beneath him and he expressed in his later life that he regretted turning that down um but uh, but yeah of course it went to karloff who i don't know if you noticed but uh well you wouldn't have noticed but he's 44 years old when he does when he does this film and that was like his major sort of breakout role he'd been doing a lot of work before that in the 20s but but that was like his big breakout star making sort of role Do you
1: have um do you have other iterations of frankenstein that you're fond of
0: I do really like Kenneth Branagh directed Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Okay. Um, yep. I do really like that. Of course, I'm I adore young that. Frankenstein. I mean, that's kind sure. of, a, sure. kind of a riff on this, but I love young Frankenstein.
1: Putting on the roots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta give props. I have to give prompts to Herman Munster. I love the Munsters. <laughs> and, wow. and, and I love, I love Herman Munster, who is, who is the, the Jack Pierce makeup. It's, it's that, you know, that vision of Frankenstein, as it were. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as a representation of the story, oh, you know what else I enjoy? There's a version that was made for TV. TNT did it. I I can't remember the director, but it stars uh, Patrick Bergen as as uh, Victor Frankenstein. His name is Victor in the in the novel, but he's Henry in in this film. And it stars Randy Quaid as the monster. But it's actually really creepy. Wow. Much more faithful to the original novel. And uh, and is is pretty darn good if you can find it. Um, It's funny
1: that you you just you meant that as a throwaway. But so he's Victor in the book. Yeah, he's called
0: Victor Frankenstein in the book.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, because the whole time I'm watching the movie, I, I keep thinking Victor, but then they keep calling him Henry. Like, yeah. oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, you they know. changed
0: his name to Henry. I forget there was an intentional reason behind it, though. I I can't recall what it was at the moment, but yeah, they they formally changed his name to Henry for this film. But yeah, he's Victor in every. Well, you other know,
1: generation. Uh, speaking of Split, your boy James McAvoy did probably about two years ago now. There's I don't know if it's called Frankenstein or High Frankenstein. Uh, he plays yes, the doctor and, uh, young Harry Potter, uh, right. Daniel Radcliffe plays Fritz slash Igor, which is, I found funny. I'm like, Daniel Radcliffe is such a handsome young man. Like, that's just <laughs>
0: not really great casting there. What hump? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that I haven't seen that film. That's the uh, other, yeah, I haven't seen it either. That's the other thing is there's, There's a thousand versions of this story like they're they're everywhere. But I still keep coming back, honestly, sincerely, uh, with 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 the possible exception of uh, my fondness for the for the TNT version. This this is number one for me. This this iteration directed by James Whale is, I think, for its time, given given an asterisk of qualifier that for its time, it's very of its time. But I think it's a masterpiece. I think this is a brilliant film. I love, I I so love the opening of this movie. The opening of this film where uh, the actor Edward Van Sloan, who you may recall was uh, played Van Helsing from uh, Dracula. But uh, he comes out and I just love that whole, before the credits have rolled, before anything else happens, he comes out and he says, you know, a word of warning. And for me, anytime I watch this movie, that immediately puts me. In the mood and, and the right sort of mindset to watch this movie. I honestly wish, although yeah. it would be probably a bit too heavy handed to try it now, but I, I honestly wish I, I was reflecting not that long ago about how essentially opening credits in films are, are done for. They don't like action is happening over opening credits anymore there's no more of this sort of theatricality where the opening credits are going to roll and then we're going to dive into the story it's all just right into the action things are happening you know while you're seeing the sort of spot credits roll up and part of me misses that part of me misses the it's probably the live stage performance lover in me that part of me misses this whole hey we're we're this this is our sort of overture as it were we're we're presenting this for you right he's very much when he steps out on stage like that's the kind of thing that you might see before a live stage performance um the director come out and or or someone kind of acknowledging the artifice absolutely yeah and then you get to escape into this this fabricated story and i just adore that it's not this it's not the same as what
1: you're describing but similar the only other movie i can think of for myself that i've seen though i do a door of this movie is Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Uh, At yeah. the very beginning, you know, it's got that big curtain and the orchestral, yes. you know, the conductor yeah. and the orchestra in the bottom.
0: And uh, and I, I I think that films these days, they they too quickly dismiss that element in our sort of postmodern sensibilities. I think uh, I think we've actually lost a bit of that. The, the the idea that you're about to enter into an experience, you're about to engage with an escapist story, and this is going to be, you know, separated out from your day-to-day reality. And I think that films today have lost a lot of that invitation into uh, that kind of experience. and uh, And it just it just makes me a little sad. And and when I watch movies like this, I realize how much I I miss about that. I have just a, a couple more likes dislikes and then we should probably move on. The uh th- you know the the major thing that I wanted to mention is I wanted to mention the moment when the monster the the light in the the skylight opens up and Right. The monster is reaching up for it like he's, like he's a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, something about that moment captivates me. And also the fact that when the skylight closes, he, his hands, the, you know, uh, James Whale focused in on his hands and he's searching and he's confused and he's questioning the, 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 the idea that this thing, though, tall and monstrous looking, is very much an infant. It's very much like it does not know exactly what to make of its surroundings. And I think that's part of what's so compelling about this story in general. And that definitely is present in the novel more prominently, that it is a a child that is having to learn and develop these kinds of things.
1: Well, I do love that the, and I texted you this, like... You, you you could almost accuse this movie of having a you know perhaps un, uh, perhaps unintentional comedic element oh, to right. it. I mean, the, the crux of this thematic conversation of God and science hinges solely on Fritz's bumbling, <laughs> dropping the wrong jar. You know, right? Right. He gets he gets the right jar and just kind of trips and oops. So much for that one. Okay, well, good, good thing there's another brain scene here. <laughs> oh, I didn't
0: read the fact that it was a murderous, crazy man. Yeah, you know. I know. Which I find really fascinating. And I don't want to bypass right over uh, the, the, the scary moments, although I, I don't know how scary this movie really is. Um, but at the risk of diving right into theme, I think about that, and I think about the fact that it's an abnormal brain, when the doctor is discussing with Henry Frankenstein about the creation of this thing, he concentrates on the fact that it was a criminal brain. But I find it immensely interesting, and it was probably intentional on James Whale's interpretation of his character, that this creature, this monster, does not appear immediately to act like a criminal. He acts very sort of uh, innocent, to a way. Th- that moment with the light, the moment later when he's interacting with the girl... It does not automatically come across like a criminal being, but it's interesting sure. that because the brain belonged to a former criminal, it's immediately pegged as this monstrous thing, and it's immediately defined sure. as this monstrous thing. But there's every indication, particularly through the early beats of the narrative, that maybe with a different set of, of people looking after it and a different set of care being given to it, maybe it wouldn't have turned out. To be this, right, this monstrous right. thing. It, 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 I think that's part of what's so compelling about the story in general is it's having a subtextual conversation about nature versus nurture. And it's and it's having this sort of exploration of are we designed to be a certain thing or is the, the care and attention we're given after we're born what makes us these things and sure, wh- what makes sure. us what we are. And I think that's immensely interesting and i'm not even quite sure what the film's saying no i I do think
1: that's a good question and yeah yeah well i mean i think some of that might be rooted in the in the prose text which i've not read Mm, but um i will say in terms of uh, trying to tie this in in a a roundabout way into where you're going um i'll I'll say a scary scene was was scary slash sad is just the father carrying maria through through the town that's heartbreaking you know i mean that's, that's it is and it's and it's impressively so for a movie that feels very understand the nuance associated with this word, but whimsical you know the movie has a very kind of low stakes kind of feel to it if that makes right. sense um and so then you have a scene like that that man is just wrenching and dovetailing into what you're describing is the preceding scene how did we get there well you have that scene with frankenstein and maria on the on the water's edge and, and hear me, like, you know, if I if I want to be a real jerk, which I can do sometimes, like, there's a little bit of, <laughs> there's a little bit of humor to Frankenstein just picking her up and lobbing her into the right, water. Right, you know? right. I mean, it's, it's kind of humorous. Sure. But at the same time, if you, if you enter into the story being told, it's, 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 it's Lenny of Mice and Men. You know, mm, it's, right, oh my gosh, right. she's, you know, uh, she's, she's freaking out and I'm petting her too hard and now I'm going to snap her neck. Like, it just this uh, to use your words or to use your idea of this kind of infantile creature who is just gifted through through biology with a monstrous physique thus you know kind of doesn't know his own capacity right. for for harming things
0: right and did you know interestingly enough this film was released at the time when the Hayes Code which was um, you yeah, know we don't need to go into a whole bunch of film history right here but the Hayes Code was basically a standard um that said that the films had to meet a certain moral level of approval. Um this film had a lot of it had an uphill battle trying to trying to get approved by the Hays Code. The scene where he throws her into the river was originally cut because it did not meet the Hays Code approval um because he's essentially killing a child, even though in the film clearly it's an accident, and in the film it's clearly thematically important uh that he does not know what he's doing um, they, right. they deemed it uh, unapproved, and so it was cut from the original rendition of it and didn't see the light of day until long after the Hays Code was a, was a thing of the past.
1: Interesting. So, to your knowledge, in an original cut, did they just... did did you just presume this is what happened? Like you didn't actually see it. Yes.
0: So what it, so basically you see her, him interacting with the girl and it cuts away after she throws the flower petals on there. And then the next time you see the girl, next time, you know, anything that's happened is when the father is carrying her in. So, which interestingly enough, without that scene, you think the monster is much more cruel than he is because without that that moment, yeah, you yeah. don't know you, what you, happened you to that girl. You can presume some maliciousness. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's, that's fascinating based on what James Whale, the film he crafted versus the film that they approved. And I think that's why some of those things are important contextually. Because, um, and I do think it's interesting, you as the viewer, if you were to not see the moment when Frankenstein's monster picks her up and tosses her into the river you would necessarily like you'd see the father wandering in there you'd see the scene where the monster was stalking elizabeth his uh, his fiance you would see that scene and you would presume what you knew had happened to the girl and you would think that the monster was indeed monstrous and that he was categorically
1: which by the way he's got a pretty impressive gps internal gps to be able to get to be able to get to her that is true and they don't
0: ever really explain it
1: (laughs) no no i don't know if it's just a really tiny town Probably you know? he just goes where he just he, he hears the sounds of partying and reveling. And uh, he's like,
0: well, there's yeah. only one place that could be. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is fascinating that they don't really explain how he gets into her bedroom. But the uh, the novel explains and and future versions of the film explain that, uh, oddly enough, Frankenstein and his monster seem to have a, a very strange psychic connection so that they, so that what happens to them, what happens to one happens to the other and, uh, they can in a sense, sort of feel and sense things about it. Um, the novel uh, hints at those kinds of things. And uh, like I said, there have been versions of the film that that explore that a little bit more. It's not present in this one at all. So it does feel like he just sort of happens upon her. But, yeah. uh, you know, one thing that I wanted to to kind of say, and it, it dovetails out of that whole Haze Code conversation, because they cut that moment. Another line that they cut, and this was... Uh, widely known for many years before the version was restored, and I'm sure it was the version that you saw. Frankenstein's line, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God. That line was cut. They they considered it blasphemous. They said you cannot say that line. Uh, in the original viewing of the film, a huge thunderclap comes over that line so that that line of dialogue is completely omitted. The, and so it's interesting because that also I find to be thematically crucial to understanding exactly what's happening in this story with its characters. But the the, the Hayes Code was interesting in what it decided and deemed approvable and what it didn't. But one thing specifically about that that line now I know what it feels like to be God, which I do find. A powerful and compelling line. It comes right on the heels of the famous and iconic, it's alive, it's alive moment that we riffed at at the top of the episode. But when he says, now I know what it feels like to be God, I took note of it, particularly in this viewing. When he says that, I know what it feels like to be God. He is only referring to ability and power. That's what he says it means to be God. I have, I have the capacity and capability to give life. He's not talking at all about understanding or about attitude or even about intention. And I find that very interesting because we can sometimes tend to, to, to approach the subject of when things happen in our lives or if we have certain events influence our lives and we try to wonder exactly what God's role is in all of it or exactly it's the not to, to, uh, cavalierly dismiss horrific and tragic things but the where was god question like if i were god Mm -hmm. in this tragedy what would i have done and why didn't he stop it and if he has the capacity to save all these people or to heal all these people why doesn't he and i found it immensely interesting in this viewing of this film that when henry frankenstein says now i know what it feels like to be god he is only referring to the potential or capacity of power or ability has nothing, has nowhere in his understanding of that what it might mean to understand things from God's perspective or what the attitude of God towards people might be. Because one thing I took note of is he said, now I know what it feels like to be God, but he has no love for this creature. No no genuine that, that I can see. Sure, sure, the only sure. love that he has is as a trophy of his own accomplishments. He has no intention to teach this creature how to be in the world. He has no understanding of how to care for this creature. Once it has been created, he gives it life, which by the way, he says he created the monster, but he merely patchworked it together from other bodies. You know, he didn't, right. he, he didn't actually create anything. He stitched together uh, these other things and the, the, the re the resurrecting agent, as it were, is lightning, which he's not in, he, he doesn't create lightning. He doesn't generate lightning. He merely harnesses it and uses it in this thing. So this whole idea of him creating this, um, he's still very dependent upon other things which he had no capacity to create and is, is utterly dependent upon to make this thing work. So when he says that that's what it feels like to be God, I immediately take note of the, of the arrogance in that statement and of the fact that He's so limited in his understanding of what being God must be like to, to say like, Oh, I, now I have this power and I have this capacity. So now I am like God, which, of course, with my Christian theological framework, I understand like that would be nothing of what it would be like to be God. Power, as you can see in the scriptures, is ultimately rather irrelevant to God. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Here's what it makes me think. And then I'll, I've been talking a while, so I'll bounce it back to you. Here's what it makes me think. I, as a 36 year old man, think nothing whatsoever of standing, walking, using my hands, the day to day, you know, my day to day capacity, getting in my car and driving somewhere, even having the, the brain to be able to do my job or being able to do, to accomplish any, uh, simple task that I want to accomplish. But, Someone who has a disability or someone for whom that would be very challenging to try to do, someone who is a a paraplegic or even a quadriplegic, to them, they would look at me and they would, would, I would understandably, and maybe this is being a bit offensive, hear me listeners that I'm not intending to be offensive of people with disabilities if this does come off this way. It it could be perceived that they would look at someone who has the capacity and the abilities that they have, and that they would desire those abilities. Maybe they don't. Maybe they are perfectly at home in their own framework. That that is not something that they long for. But it would be a folly for them to look and say, "Oh, if I could walk, then I know what it's like to be read. Or if I could, if I could do these other things, then I know what it's like to be read." Simply having the abilities that I have does not mean you know what it's like to be me. That's basically what I'm getting at is simply being able to do the same things that I can do doesn't give you any sort of access to understanding how I work and why I perceive things the way that I perceive them or why I do things the way that I do them. And in the same vein, having the power or the capacity to do things that we consider God-like still gives us no closer to understanding what it's like to be God. I know there's a big long diatribe. That feels, that
1: feels, uh, uh, that feels very Job. Very Joban. Oh, jo- uh, Jobian. Else, I, I will I will tell you your own right hand can save you. Mm, right, right. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I, I I get what you're putting down there. I mean, I apologize for its clunkiness, but ho- hopefully you and listeners right. we're
1: all we're, we're all used to. I mean, I'm about to re- I'm about to return your clunky for some super clunky, <laughs> and hope hope that as iron sharpens iron, we're all going to show grace to each other and trusting that we are all just exploring and not explaining. Amen to that. And we're still right. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. No, I, I, I think th- this is what you know, what you're describing is is sort of what I meant by there's a degree to which some of these themes in the, as they're presented in the movie are very on the nose, which doesn't mean they're not worth exploring. It does mean, yeah, you know, what what does it mean, quote unquote, to be God? What does it mean to exercise that level of power? So I, I'm going to take. Uh, so I'm feeling. I'm feeling. You know, listeners might be like, man, Nathan's a little subdued. Um, as you, if you listen to Carrie and what was the other one we did, the exorcist, Exorcist, you'll, you'll remember that Nathan just had a baby and Nathan, me, am tired. (laughs) Um, so, so there is some, there is some truth to that subduedness, but also what you're sensing is restraint that might be unshackled here in a second. So, you know, read my friend, I'm going to throw some things at you and, and hopefully these listeners will be gracious and, and, and things too. So I'm, you're usually our, our scripture man. (laughs) Well, you're going to you're you're either going to be like hey nathan don't take my role from me or you're going to be like i'm impressed yeah boy so even when i watched this movie i started having these thoughts and i just needed some time to sit down with them and I, and, and they're they are far from conclusive but there's there's some germ a germ of some ideas that are developed from the themes of this movie i couldn't help but watch this movie of a man exercising his own sort of natural giftings and fabricating ultimately what is sort of a monstrosity, but, you know, putting, putting this patchwork, you use that word, this patchwork, this pastiche, this, this cut and paste version of a life together, uh, this cut and paste version of an expression of essence, you know, and, and I couldn't help but think of, <laughs> you'll love this super broad brush the church in america um, and i went to a couple of scripture places i'm going to reference them specifically one is colossians 1:18. um the other one is <laughs> enjoy this joke one corinthians 12 16 first corinthians 12 16 um uh, the colossians verse says christ is head of the church the the first corinthians 12 16 passage is all about you know the the body that is the church mm-hmm. paul says if if the foot should say i'm not a hand i don't belong uh, i'm not a part of the body if the ear should say i'm not an eye you know this this sort of warring of the body and 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 so the the, the specific sort of thread i'm trying to draw here is is body it's bodily it is mm-hmm. it is essence essence and body combined what does that mean So, so I'm going to run with this for a second. So the, the Colossians one says Christ is head of the church. To me, I feel like that language is very specific. It could easily have said, Paul could easily have said Christ is the heart of the church, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems, and I know there's other scriptural references talking about, you know, the heart or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, these sorts of things. But he specifically in this illustration uses Christ as the head. Okay. So, so what does the heart do? It, it, It feels that's all. You know, it it expresses emotion. Well, what does the head do? It thinks, it discerns, it perceives, it processes. There is a way in which, like, people are going to be at a certain point, like Nathan, geez, lay off the church. And I get it. I want to. But, you know, if there there is a tacit sort of agreement between my dear friend Reed and I, and that you sort of enter into when you listen to us riff about these things, it says we're going to take inane pop culture stuff and blow it up to say, how are these, th- I mean, this is, this is criticism 101. You know, how do we take these things that we're observing in the world around us, in this case, in horror movies, and make them applicable to our spiritual life? Because that's the conversation we're interested in having. So to me, I look at the world we're living in right now, and I think we have created a Frankenstein monster. We, the church, you look at this body passage of First Corinthians. And to me, this is, Paul is saying, like, don't be, in the movie's language, Henry Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Be careful. Don't go get a brain from here. Don't go get ears from here. Don't go get eyes from here. Right. You know? And 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 I'm going to get a little bolder now. Like, to me, personally, I in no way conflate the church in America. I think it's, this is Nathan. This is not even necessarily Reed. I think it's a bit... This is a strong word, but it's late on a Sunday night, and the Super Bowl happened. <laughs> I don't care about the Super <laughs> Bowl. Um, you know, I, I think it's a it's it's mildly heretical to like conflate the church and America as as inextricable entity entities. Um, but many people do it. You know, a lot of people do it. A lot of people in the church do it. Um, but when you conflate these two things, people tend to focus solely on a few insanely specific issues as paramount right well what what happens when you do that you neglect the rest of the body Mm -hmm. and what do we end up with not an emperor with no clothes but a body with no head Mm -hmm. a body with no head because we are so intent on driving the the machine we're so intent Reed, i know you're sitting there you're like listeners, i told Reed in prep in pre-briefing for these, I'm like, I'm not sure what to, what my themes are here. And you sent me some themes and now you're like, you're probably like, okay, you could stop talking now. But, but but I'm, but I'm going, I'm going places. So, you know, uh, scripturally speaking, perhaps it sounds like I'm suggesting Christ isn't present at the top. Maybe, maybe I am, I don't know, honestly. Uh, but I do know that You read, you listener, if you believe yourself a thinking, discerning Christian, one, please, please, please do yourself the favor of at least attempting to extricate the church in America. You will, you will find yourself open to a whole, a whole perspective on kingdom that you never thought possible. You know, the kingdom itself is meant to be an independent, transcendent nation, right? It is not bound by geography and, and people type. That said, if you can't separate those two, pay attention who is at the top of the nation right now. Listen to him speak. It is gibberish, right? It's not the mind of Christ. It is not mindful. The kingdom has no head. I can't help but watch this movie and think, holy cow, we, the church, are Henry Frankenstein, and our monster is out of control. It's out of our hands because instead of focusing on a uniform christ-minded discerning body that says complexity exists in every facet of our life and cannot be distilled simply into it's just funny that this movie is this a black and white Mm -hmm. sort of thing you know we we kind of screw up on top of that i promise i'm gonna let you talk but you know you know um at the same time at the same time that we have forsaken having a brain you know christ is the head of the church we've forsaken having that head We've also stopped being curious, and that's an insanely troubling thing to me, yeah. because we don't know everything. Like, I fancy myself pretty smart, uh, pretty bright. <laughs> if by bright, I mean having the capacity for being smart in many areas, <laughs> not necessarily smart in many areas. But I can still recognize I don't know everything, you know, but so many of us behave I mean, look at, look at Henry Frankenstein. I know everything. I am God. I am like God. I am like unto God. I have created life. It is alive. But what is the it? It is a monster. And he knew that from the beginning. Yes. You know? So, so we behave and move through life as though we do know everything and we get in trouble time and time again.
0: Yeah.
1: Or we're so regimented in our views, we leave no room for possibility. My final, my final sort of note on this massive out of nowhere diatribe is my fear is we are content with just the husk of a body forgetting that that body needs breath mm. the 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 breath of god the essence you know like we are, we are so content with just having the form without
0: without the essence without the function yeah i don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever it does to me it? Absolutely, it does. <laughs> I hate, uh, like, so here's what, here's how I'll respond to. Is
1: it annoying? Is it annoying that I'm like completely jumping ship and going no. off into? Are you, are you like Nathan? Come back to shore. No,
0: it's not annoying at all. In fact, I have two, I have two responses. First of all, I want to be very clear about my feelings towards what you've laid out about the, the marriage, and the homogenization of the church in America. Let us pause for a moment uh, and remember that America is very, very young. I was listening to I was listening to an audiobook, man, this has nothing to do with Frankenstein, but I was listening to an audiobook about the or making, does it? <laughs> about the making of the Princess Bride. That's a you know, that's a fun movie, and it was a very fun sort of audiobook to listen to. Carrie always wrote it. And he said in it, he reflected on the fact that when they were doing filming, uh, several places they were on location, uh, in, uh, in Europe. And he said, you, you realize when you stand in those places just how young America is because you're standing in castles that have been there for centuries. Whereas even now, as we're recording, America is no more than about two or three hundred years old. Whereas some of these places around the world are millennia old. And when you step outside of that, of that understanding, and then you recognize, that, uh, that the earth is even older than that. And that before all of that, God was. It is very challenging for us to, when, when we, how I feel about what you've expressed, just that, that singular element is that when we marry, how goes America, such goes the church, it's what C.S. Lewis called and what I would deem here as chronological snobbery, which says that mm, yeah, what we yeah, have yeah. here, is what has always been and what, you know, that, that, that what we have here is the way that it was always intended to, to come to fruition. And I think we do ourselves a tremendous disservice to both America and to the church to homogenize those together and, and pretend as if how goes the church, so goes America, or how goes America and so goes the church. I think that wisdom and discernment would separate those things out, at least in the capacity to say, hey, they they are not completely and utterly dependent upon one another. Now, that's not to say I don't balk when I hear the song God Bless America. I don't balk when I hear the statement God Bless America. I don't balk when I see patriotism and theology uh, expressed in the same sentence. I don't necessarily balk at that. What I do have a tendency to balk at is people believing that the survival or thriving of America is God's foremost mission. I disagree with that. I disagree with a mindset or a mentality that would say that the foremost thing on God's heart is making sure America is great again. I apologize, listeners. I know that this is getting, (laughs) that this is getting a bit, um, heavy handed in, in that regard, but I do feel like it's vitally important. However you feel about, let me, let me, let me speak from the other side of the fence for a second. However you feel, about things that are of vital importance to our moral fiber, to our security, to our national security. However you feel about those things, there are people who love Jesus and they sincerely love Jesus and those things are of utmost importance to them. I mean no disrespect whatsoever in the thoughts that I'm expressing about separating out and compartmentalizing the life of America from the life of the church and from the body of the church. I don't mean any disrespect to the concerns that I know you have just because they are not my concerns does not mean that they are not of concern is what I'm trying to say, but I do think we do ourselves a tremendous disservice when we begin to believe that you know that that we are this this great thing I think. I would immediately echo that when we say like, oh, America is what's is what's all important. And we are we are the greatest nation and we are the ones who who uh we hold the holy grail of of all that God's intention is for the world around us. When we do that, we're in deep trouble. We, we are in very deep trouble and we sound to me very much like henry frankenstein it's alive it's yep. alive yep. Yep. now i know what it feels like to be god i saw I, I am not about to criticize our current sitting president in the statement that i'm about to make i'm not criticizing him there is an a, a an image that i saw on social media of a representation of the image of jesus christ carrying suitcases saying, now I'm headed back to the White House. Here's what I will criticize. I'm not about to criticize our current president, but here's what I will criticize. I will criticize anybody who thinks that that he ever left. Anybody who criticizes the fact that... I, I had a statement when, uh, and I think I've even expressed this on the show before, or at least on a show that I was doing before, um, where people would say, how do you think Jesus would feel if you, if he was sitting there watching these horror movies with you? Or how do you think he would feel if he was sitting there watching this movie or that movie with you? And I respond these days by saying, you think he's not? Like, you think there's anywhere that I can go that I'm apart from his presence or his eye? You think that there's anything that I can do where he's not attentive to my utmost needs? And at the same time, do you think there's anywhere I can go where I can sort of be a surrogate and take his place and, and sit in that throne or put that crown. So what, on you're my sa- head?
1: so what you're saying is this is a very special episode of the fear of God. Cause it is the last one, you know, we are <laughs> shuddering, shuddering the podcast.
0: Every, uh, every listener is just gonna, t- just gonna turn us off. It's going to
1: uh, naturally just morph now into, into the love of God. <laughs> you know, we're just going to watch, <clears throat> we're going to watch facing the giants. Yes. And we're going to watch. Lots of romantic um, comedy. I can't even. R- right. Left behind, maybe. <laughs> um, but I, well, I think, I think, and I'm totally cutting you off. I don't mean that, but, but, uh, you know, I feel like we're, we're on the same page here. It's like, you know, to me, you, you are, you are the, the, you're an eminent diplomat and, and like. To a fault. You, you're, you're, well, not, I mean, not necessarily. Um, I think all I'm trying to get at is, one, yes, that meme is atrocious, Um what you just described. I've seen it, too. You know, to me, I, I, I tweeted something recently that, you know, sort of ticked someone off. I don't know. But <clears throat> I hate the God's man rhetoric. You know, it, I I I liked our previous president, and I would be, I would bristle at someone referring to him as God's man in that context. As what so, I, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter precisely who it is. You know, what I want to say to someone is, okay, well, let's set that aside, and let's recognize that you are God's man. mm you are God's woman. Mm -hmm. Now stay humble, stay open, stay sensitive, stay compassionate and get to work. Yes. Like that's what troubles me because we are so content, you know, like we, we have let forces outside of our control, create this Frankensteinian thing. I don't even mean like, you know, do I mean specifically Donald Trump? Uh, Who knows what precisely I'm saying here in terms of the Frankenstein, but I think we all sense that's, that sort of like, whoa, there's this unwieldy sort of, when, when we try to exert control and authority and, 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 and declare certain things as certifiably of God that might not necessarily be so. Right.
0: We're just, we're starting to fabricate the monster. Yes, absolutely. I would even interject that I think we are of, almost equal danger to equate anybody in leadership with either God or the devil. That when you recognize that they are anything other than a leader who will have certain capacity to do good and a certain capacity to do evil, and that that could sway in either direction, depending on how things go, it is important to keep God, God, and to keep the devil, the devil. And I think when we... And to keep you, you. And to keep us, us. I completely agree. Yes, that, that there is... It's important that we understand what we're describing and how we're describing it. And when we view the other side of the fence or our side of the fence as either God or the devil, we are approaching insanity. We are approaching madness because you can't criticize God. So that means if you view your leadership as God's thing, then you're not going to be willing or as willing to stand up and say, you know what? You've done about 12 good things, but these four over here are awful, and you really need to be attentive right. to these. And if you equate them as the devil, then you are not going to be as willing to say, you know what? There are about 14 things over here that are atrocious and inhumane. But, you know, you you are trying to do these other three things that might be valuable for us. So you have to keep God, God. You have to keep the devil, the devil. And you have to understand that everything else is human beings doing what human beings do. I think the opportunity is... That when we recognize that God has intention, that the enemy has intention, and that people will have any wide variety of intentions, we will be much more, in a much more healthy way, able to compartmentalize and understand and navigate through this treacherous beast of what we see happening in our country at present. And I think that if we, if we homogenize any of those things in any capacity, we're going to lose our grip on being able to do that in a mature way.
1: Well, and, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, this is why we're friends. (laughs) But, you know, you, you, you have to stay open. You have to stay curious. Um, you have to attempt humility. (laughs) You know, we're not always going to get it. And I, I, I understand that. Like people are people and we stumble and we fall and we pick ourselves back up and then we stumble and fall again. But like, I'm trying to tie this into the movie, but what happens the the henry frankenstein yelling it's alive and then 20 minutes later once his monster has broken loose Mm -hmm. is a humbled man a humbling will happen to Mm -hmm. you severe and right and wouldn't you rather just stay humble and stay curious and not get inflated and not think you know everything you know to me that sort of I I do think there's a tension here. You know, it sounds like I'm saying, well, let Christ be the head of the church. And thus you don't, you, you don't bother with that. I'm not necessarily saying that because I think we are called to be like Christ. Yes. And so does that mean we are quote unquote, the head of the church? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you've got to use your head. Yes. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out what it looks like to use your head, to use your heart, to be a whole person that doesn't have ears fighting against eyes and feet fighting against noses. Right. Because right. that's what Paul describes as dissension and a broken body.
0: Right. You know. Yeah. I. Anyway, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I'm gonna as a as a potential. This is a wild. This is a wild. Here run. we go. <laughs> this is, this is, this is a Frankenstein monster of an episode. As a potential final note and to, to tie these ideas together, I'll, I'll bring in, I think you've already deftly brought in several scriptures, um, regarding the body and a, regarding its place. That's a very important scripture to me. The idea of you can't, one part of the body can't say to another that I don't need you. Um, that's, that's right. a vital importance for us to grasp and to understand. But in terms of, uh, Henry Frankenstein's position of like, now I know what it feels like to be God. I wanted to bring in, uh, I'm probably going to reference this. Again, because it's something that I think is is critical for us to understand. But I'm going to briefly read a section from Exodus chapter 32. It's when Moses uh, had led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They were in the middle of the wilderness. He had gone up to Mount Sinai. He had been gone for a very long time. And Exodus chapter 32 and the first verse, I'm going to read just uh, four verses of scripture here. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, who was Moses' brother, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, hear this, listeners, Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And here's how I'm going to tie all these things together, possibly as a way to land this episode. Sure. We, you know, he, Henry Frankenstein says he created this thing. But as we've already pointed out, he patchworked it together. He built it together out of things he dug up. He did not actually form anything. The people of Israel at one point, an entire nation of people, took things that they knew came off of their bodies, took things that they knew were were gold and had been fashioned and had formed. They put it together. They put it in a fire. They made it into a shape. And they looked at this thing that they had crafted with their hands. And they said, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. They looked at this thing and said, this is what God is. Listeners, here when we're talking about national consciousness, when we're talking about theological consciousness, when we're talking about the importance of the church being the church and God being God and the devil being the devil, when we're talking about these things, be mindful in your own life and in your own heart of your capacity to build your theology around what you have in your hands and, and having this God that you yourself have fabricated out of some sort of sensibility, out of some sort of Uh, your own experience and called that God that make no mistake if that happens to us that is not the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob that is not the God who is holding all of these things together that is not the God that is the head of the church we are in tremendous danger of piecing together things from places in scripture and from theological understanding and from forming that together and saying, this is what God cares about, and this is all that God cares about. He doesn't care about this. He doesn't care about that. He only cares about these things. Be mindful of that and beware of that, because we are at no less of a risk of fashioning golden calves out of the national flag any more than the people of Israel were out of the earrings and their own gold. We are in tremendous danger of forming a God from our own hands and from our own minds And we are at perilous risk of saying that that is the God who was and is and is to come. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not. Anything that we form of our own selves, that's not God. And we must recognize that he is ever and forever beyond us. And we need, as you said, Nathan, to humbly walk with him, to humble ourselves and recognize that we are not in control and that we are not in charge And that we must surrender and submit to something beyond ourselves if we have any hope of actually experiencing His presence in our day-to-day lives.
1: Well, and you know, you, you, uh, I want to have the last word here, or let someone else get it that we that I think we both like have it. So, as your friend and as a listener to all the things you just said, I think it'd be easy to hear us both and say, "But then what?" To which I would say, "Yes." You're exactly right, but then what? You know, this is the this is the the, the beauty and plague of, of to me the faithful Christian life is okay, you stay humble, you stay open, you stay curious, you stay compassionate. Um, beyond that, I'm going to I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson here, which is not scripture, but the man is he is walking scripture. Um and I fa- I saw this, I follow a Peterson quote thing on Twitter and and this arrested me yesterday and it's i feel like it's appropriate to what we're describing and the quote says it looks like i'm going to have to let go of what i expected and enter a mystery Mm -hmm. and i'm like that's it that is it you gotta you know you read the scriptures with an open heart and an open mind you walk through life with an open heart and an open mind being sensitive to um, I'm not even going to quantify so much as to say phrases like the, the movement of the spirit or where the Lord's working. I think these are very, those are very denominational kind of phrases. I just mean you, you, you stay open, you stay sensitive, you stay compassionate. You recognize that all your attempts at quantifying God and life are probably things that, like Peterson says, you need to let go of and just realize it's all mystery and be kind of okay with that. You know, this is, this is what you referenced several weeks ago. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I keep coming back to it, Reed, that, you know, our, 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 our orbit is relationship. Yeah. But, but what about this scripture? Well, okay, let's, let's throw that in the stew. But what about this script? Okay, well, let's throw let's keep it all in the stew, trusting that our relationship with Jesus is going to, going to, through the course of our life, help refine and define what these things mean. Yes. Knowing, knowing that we aren't smart enough. Yeah, it's all a mystery. That's all I. That's to, all I got to say about that. To
0: which I would say, Amen. And uh, the Word of God, it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we we'll, we went a little longer than we expected to, but I think it was really. I enjoyed the conversation immensely. We hope you did. And, uh, if you have anything that you'd like to add, um, or cuss us out, um, then you can do that in a variety of ways. You can, you can do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll receive yeah absolutely. It. <laughs> um, that's, uh, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can, uh, reach out to us. Probably the easiest way is on Twitter. What is our Twitter handle, Nathan? It is at the fear of God. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, you can like us on Facebook and post, uh, your comments there. You can go to more than one and po- post a comment on one of the uh, the individual posting for this site. You can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And uh, Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter? At the Nathan Rouse. At the Nathan Rouse. And uh, we, haven't, we haven't really pushed for this in a while, but I would encourage you, please, if you listen to the show, if you enjoy the show, uh, we've, we've sat at the same level of iTunes reviews for a little while now. If you could please pop over and give us an iTunes review. We would greatly appreciate that. It really is the easiest and best way to um, expand visibility of our show to other people. Um, So you can can do any or or all of those things. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, This, as we've said, is part of our Universal Monsters series that we're doing all year. So I'm going to tell you what film we're going to companion it with next week. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I and I alone am responsible for this. Uh, We are Talking about 1985's Stuart Gordon directed as a companion pil- film to Frankenstein, Reanimator. Now, I want to tell you, I should caution uh, if you've never seen this film and you want to check it out to make sure that you see it before our conversation, that it is very wild and uh, at at least one moment very offensive so i'm just letting you know right now that that is that it is adult content complete adult content uh, but we will be talking about it next week and uh and i'm sure uh nathan will express all of the ways in which he enjoyed this film tremendously so <laughs> um we will see you next week and until that time uh thank you very much for listening nathan thank you so much for having this conversation with me i appreciate it no problem my friend bye-bye guys